0: Now, it's time for the NSCAA College Soccer Podcast with Dean Linke. The National Soccer Coaches Association of America is the go-to resource for soccer coaches of any level. From advocacy, education, and networking, the NSCAA has something for everyone. Join the world's largest soccer coaches organization today. Now, here's our veteran soccer broadcaster, Dean Linke.
1: Hello, college soccer fans. My name is Dean Linky, and as you know, without question, this is my favorite time of the year. It's conference final and NCAA tournament time for men and women at every level. So call me happy as we talk college soccer at its finest. The NCAA Women's Division I 64 team field is set. And the BYU Cougars under the only coach they've ever known, Jennifer Rockwood has BYU at number four in the country. They are led by now U.S. women's full international member Ashley Hatch, who has 18 goals and five assists on the season. And Jennifer kicks off the program talking about aspirations to make this year's college cup in Santa Clara. Staying with the women's D1 level, how could we not talk to Mike Tucker? Who in his 22nd and final season with the Dayton Flyers saw his team enter the Atlantic 10 tournament as the number seven seed and a losing record. They cruise to the A10 title and give Coach Tucker at least one more game in the NCAA tournament against the Ohio State Buckeyes. You will love learning how Coach Tucker went from building boats to coaching at Dayton. Staying at the D1 level, if you haven't heard, Bobby Muse has done an amazing job replacing Jay Vitovich at Wake Forest University. And just two seasons since coming over from Denver, Coach Muse has led Wake Forest to back to back regular season titles in the ACC. Do you have any idea how difficult that is? And they are the number two team in the country. You will love my visit with Coach Muse. You know I respect the history of the game at all levels, including the promotion of the game on television. And back in the early 90s, a pioneer in putting the games on TV was Ken Neal, one of the most respected soccer producers and directors this country has to offer. Ken Neal talks about how Charlie Slago at Davidson and Terry Holland, his AD, and one of the great athletic directors pushed soccer on TV forward and he also warns that Division I soccer needs to keep television in mind as they plan for a full academic year season. Fascinating points from Ken Neal. We don't forget the other levels either, as Andreas Lindbergh has LIU Post now at number 1 for D2 men as their NCAA tournament starts. He's on, as is Division Three men's power, Messiah College, and their head coach, Brad McCarty. Chad Waller breaks down the NAIA, and Jim Gardner has Laramie County Community College at number 3 in the country as the NJCAA Women's Division One tournament starts in Melbourne, Florida, and he is also on the program. All levels of college soccer, men and women, featured once again on the NSCAA College Soccer Podcast. And we start with BYU's Jennifer Rockwood after this message
0: the NSCAA is 75 years strong and continues to provide quality service and benefits to soccer coaches. Whether you're a youth, high school, college, or professional coach, the NSCAA works to be a voice for you. Speaking of voice, once again, here's Dean Linky.
1: We start off this week's program talking NCAA Division I women's soccer because the 64-team tournament has been announced and, of course, featured prominently is BYU under the direction of Jennifer Rockwood. She's been there since 1995, and if you know the NSCAA at all, if you know anything about the NSCAA College Game of the Week on Fox Soccer, you know that we are big fans of Jennifer Rockwood and what she's built at BYU. Had such a great time calling multiple games in Provo Jennifer great to reconnect with you miss being in Provo calling your team thanks for being with us
2: hey I appreciate it we had some great times uh, on that Fox Soccer and we wish we could have you back and you'll have to come visit us sometime we've had great games in the last few years there
1: oh indeed you have built a powerhouse there but let's go back to the early days as you built this program in 1995 how hard was that how did it happen remind us all
2: Um, It was kind of a unique start, I think, for coaching. For me, I I played at BYU uh, on a club team for four years and started uh, coaching the club team right after I graduated from BYU. So I uh, stayed around, did some teaching, and coached BYU on the side and coached the club team for six years. Um, And then uh, BYU decided to uh, you know, sanction women's soccer at BYU, and I figured, well, I'll apply. I have a little bit of experience, not much. Um, and if I got it, that'd be great. And if not, I just uh, keep teaching and maybe go back to school. So, uh, you know, they let me have the job. I figured I was cheap and I was young and they didn't (laughs) know a lot about soccer. So, uh, you know, they threw me in and I have just kind of learned as I've gone.
1: Now, I think if I remember this right, you also have a very supportive family, right, Jennifer, that lives uh, around there as well.
2: Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, definitely. Uh, I grew up in Portland, Oregon and then, um, I was actually born here in Provo. Um, my parents went to BYU, so I was born here. And then uh, moved out to Portland, grew up there. I've got four younger brothers, all of whom also graduated from BYU. So we have a strong BYU ties. So it's exciting.
1: Now, the last several years, not only are you winning conference titles, but you've had your team in the top ten. I mean, this is a program that people are looking at they're even perhaps modeling their programs after i mean how have you been able to keep your team with the national spotlight on it for so long
2: well i have uh, the opportunity to recruit some amazing young players um there are kids who you know maybe are not recruited by the other top schools all the time uh, but certainly some of them are but they're kids who want to be at byu you know byu is a church school Um, It's uh, one of the finest academic institutions in the country. And so they're coming to BYU not just for soccer. And um, they love soccer and it's a big part of their life, but they've also got priorities in other areas. Um, And I think when that balance happens, you can grow even more. And, um, you know, we're just all about working hard, trying to be our best every day, and um, getting better with every opportunity that we have. There's no excuses for us not to be successful. We have all the tools that we need and uh, we just have an amazing group of girls who have come together. They work hard. Um, they they play for each other. Um, you know, our philosophy and the style that we play hasn't changed over the years. We're a high-pressure, uh, hopefully, a, you know, dynamic and um, creative attack. And uh, we're fortunate also to have a great fan base, which we've spent years trying to build at the grassroots level. And, um, you know, it just kind of all comes together. And so when the young kids come in, the expectation is already there. We've got our seniors right now that have won four conference championships. And this is a group that came in the year after 2012 when we went to the Elite Eight. So now as young recruits come in, the expectation's there. They're ready to work hard. And, um, you know, they they learn how to set those high goals. and, And we've achieved a lot of them over the years.
1: Well, I can certainly second your sentiments about dynamic soccer. Fifty-four goals, nine against. Your consistency from the opening whistle, amazing. Twenty-five goals in the first half, 28 in the second, and as well as one winner in overtime as well. So a dynamic approach. And, of course, Ashley Hatch now caught into the U.S. Mm-hmm. Women's National Team. You've got two players with 40 points on this team.
2: Yeah, you know, Ashley's had an amazing year. She's certainly playing the best soccer of her career with those I think 18, 19 goals, leading the country. Uh, uh, An opportunity of a lifetime for her to get called up into camp here in Salt Lake City. The whole team was able to go to that game and see her get her first cap. What an amazing experience that was for all of us. Um, And we've got Michelle Murphy, who, again, is also playing by far the best soccer of her career. And she had to step up when, you know, we didn't have Ashley for two of our big conference games. And uh, the girls just picked it up and came through. We also have uh, Naya Gomes, who was a player of the conference last year, uh, and an All-American when we didn't have Ashley. She was out for injury. So, you know, girls just keep stepping up. We're going to actually have three players on our front line that have been the WCC Conference Player of the Year the last three years. So, again, the expectations are high for us, and the girls are really excited to start this NCAA tournament.
1: Well, every team's got to deal with a little bit of adversity. And before we went on the air, we talked about the fact that all year you've been top ten Top five, now top four in the NSCA rankings. Yet your seed is not exactly outstanding. You play UNLV, and then if you win that, you play the winner of Oklahoma SMU. So that's okay, but you're not super pleased with your seed, although maybe a little bit more pleased than last year, Jennifer.
2: <laughs> yeah, you know, we, um, last year we had a great season. I think we were in the top 10 going into the tournament and uh, ran into, uh, Stanford, uh, number one team in the country, number one seed in the second round. And so, um, you know, we really committed to, to try and, uh, you know, do better than that. And um, I added a couple of extra tough games in our preseason. We went on the road to Penn State. We went on the road to Ohio State. We played Nebraska, Tennessee, Utah. So we had a pretty tough non-conference schedule, and girls did a great job with it. So with that, and then winning our conference, we were hopeful of maybe a two-seed, had a, a pretty good uh, an RPI of four, I think, going into our last three games, which we won. Um mostly just to have an opportunity to maybe play at Southfield more than one time. I think that was what we were really hoping for. But, you know, it didn't happen. Those things are out of our control. Uh, and We're pleased with our draw and our, our seating and where we are. And um, now it is in control uh, of us uh, as far as on Friday night. And uh, nothing else matters except playing our best soccer on Friday night on Southfield.
1: Well, you come in, you mentioned those last three games, you've outscored the opposition 14-0, to so clearly the Cougars are humming.
2: We, we are. The, uh, the girls, like I said, they're just so fun to watch. And, um, you know, we just have been working on our attack nonstop since last January. And uh, when uh, our opponents try and shut Ashley down, like Gonzaga had a couple people on her, you know, we've got other people who can step up and score. We had four different players score, uh, actually five different players, I think, score uh, in our last home game last weekend on senior night.
1: All right, last week we had Anson Dorrance on, 38 years as the head coach at North Carolina, and he talked about the fact that he wants to keep going for as long as he can. They're going to build a stadium for him that should be ready in a couple years as well. You started this program in 1995, but I can tell the energy in your voice, your passion, (laughs) saw it firsthand as part of the Fox Soccer Game of the Week. You're not going anywhere, are you, Jennifer? (laughs)
2: <laughs> no, I have the dream job as a coach. I, the The question would be, how much longer can I I last? As anyone in the coaching business knows, it's a very emotional, uh, physically, emotionally, mentally draining job. But uh, when things are going well, there's nothing better, and I wouldn't want to coach anywhere else besides BYU. So. There's nowhere else to go from here. You know, I, I have so much respect for Anson Dorrance. You know, he was my idol growing up uh, as a young coach and read everything he ever put out. So, um, you know, if we keep winning, we might have a chance to play him again this year.
1: Well, that would be fantastic. Jennifer Rockwood, love what you've done at BYU. Thanks so much for being on the NSCA College Soccer Podcast. And here's the deal, Jennifer, you win it all. You're required to talk to us one more time. So <laughs> I hope that'll be okay with you.
2: Uh, That would be fantastic. I I think, honestly, that's what keeps screaming me back. You know, we've accomplished a lot here at BYU. We have not been to the Final Four. We've been close a few times, and it just keeps me more hungry. I want to get there at some point before I'm done.
1: Well, it won't be too far to head over to Santa Clara. Hope to see you there, Jennifer. Thanks for being with us.
2: Hey, thanks so much. It's good to chat with you.
1: And how do you not love the energy of Jennifer Rockwood, the head coach of the BYU women's soccer team? They're one of 64 teams that are in the NCAA Division I women's tournament that starts this week. Also in the Dayton Flyers, Mike Tucker, in his 22nd season, he announced before the year started this would be his last year. His team went into the Atlantic 10 tournament with a losing record in the number 7 seed. They came out with an A-10 title. That means... They continue to play for Mike Tucker. They play the Ohio State Buckeyes in round one. And we talk to the legend Mike Tucker from the Dayton
3: Flyers when we come back. When you join the National Soccer Coaches Association of America, you join a community who live and breathe the beautiful game just like you do. You join a network of individuals who share many of the same issues, concerns, and questions as you. The NSCAA is dedicated to serving coaches at every level of the game in a number of ways through advocacy, education, and service. Be a part of the coaching community. Learn more and join at NSCAA.com.
1: We are so pleased now to be joined by one of the friends of the NSCAA. He was featured a few years ago on the NSCAA Game of the Week on Fox Soccer. Talk about the retiring coach from Dayton, but he's not done yet. Mike Tucker, now in his 22nd season, the five-time Atlantic 10 Coach of the Year, 2013 Ohio Soccer Hall of Fame inductee. Nine-time Atlantic 10 tournament champions. I think that's 10 now if this needs to be updated. And 11-time Atlantic 10 a regular season champion. Mike Tucker. Mike, thanks so much for being with us.
4: Oh, thanks, Dean. Wow, that sounded pretty cool.
1: Well, I mean, you're pretty cool, actually. It's been an amazing career, and I want to get to the present day, because I know you play the Ohio State Buckeyes coming up in the NCAA tournament after winning the Atlantic 10 as the number 7 seed. But we'll get to that. But before we even get remotely close to it, i got to hear your story one more time, because I've called a lot of games, which means I've had a lot of kind of... Useful information, a lot of useless information in my head, right, Mike, over the day years. (laughs) But I still remember you telling me how you came up on this job, kind of just around the program because your daughters played. But uh, you know what? Tell us how you ended up being the Dayton head coach for the women's soccer team some 22 years ago
4: uh it, it, it it's more dumb luck than anything and being in the right place at the right time cuz uh my family had a, a boat building business in Cincinnati which uh which I was highly involved in and, and working at and uh in 1989 when my my daughter Lori came up here to UD to uh to play soccer and be a student and uh you know I was out watching games and then uh, I think it was in uh 1991 maybe that uh Tom Schindler, the head coach, uh, kind of, kind of, I, I would come up and watch practices and see what I could learn because I was coaching club and ODP at the time. And, uh, Tom Schindler, uh, got tired of seeing me, I guess, because he said, you know, if you're going to hang around here, I'm putting you to work. And, uh, and he did, and I loved it. And, uh, uh, long story short was that, uh, my brother and I had a little talk and I said, you know, I, I enjoy, uh, the coaching part better than I do the boat building business. So, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to go start doing that. And it, and it ended up just working out great. Uh, family business was sold. Um, and, and I got involved in coaching and then within two years I was a head coach. So, uh, uh, just pretty, pretty amazing stuff for sure. It's, uh, it, really um stuff of dreams, really. But, uh, again, it, it's not the roadmap that I would give to young coaches trying to get involved in college coaching, for sure.
1: <laughs> well, you know what, man? you stand around the soccer field long enough, and a ball comes rolling to your feet, and you get involved. But now, were you able to coach your daughters then? Were were they still at Dayton before uh, you were named
5: the head coach?
4: Well, Lori, the, the, the oldest, uh, was here, and I, I did have the pleasure of coaching uh, Lori for a year um, uh, as an assistant and then uh, my uh, other daughter Tracy was here and uh, Tracy didn't play but she was our uh, our student manager for a couple years and it was i mean it was just amazing to uh, to be able to have you know both of my daughters involved in the program at the same time that I was and then to uh, to expand on that a little bit now Lori's oldest daughter uh, Sydney uh Lori's now living in the Dallas area, and uh, Sydney uh, decided to bring her talents here to Dayton a couple years ago, and is a current junior on our team now.
1: Wow! So that's interesting. So, what made you then, knowing that she's a junior now and had one more year, what made you decide this was the last year for you, Coach?
4: You know, it just 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 felt right. I mean, you know, I've had a, a, a few little health issues and nothing too serious, but. It just felt like I wasn't able to summon the energy to do this job the way that I wanted to do it. I, I believe that you have to give these, uh, these young women every bit of energy that you have. And uh, when you don't have enough and, and you feel like somebody else can do it better, well, then it's it's time to get out and, and let them do that.
1: Well, certainly you mustered up enough energy here in the Atlantic 10 tournament because you came in as the number 7 seed. Not expected to perhaps even go that far. You came out as the champion of the Atlantic 10 tournament, which means the Mike Tucker era continues to roll on, including a game against the Ohio State Buckeyes. What was different about this tournament?
4: Oh, well... um... We were not real good at the beginning of the year. We had we had to replace two graduating seniors last year, uh, in Nicole Waters and Ashley Campbell, who were two of our best ever in the program, our, our all-time leading scorer and all-time leader in assists. And it it just really took a while here for our younger players to uh, to sort through being college players and and being uh, uh, stuck into pretty important roles. Uh, and then you know even. Even the seniors, um, it was just one of those crazy sets of circumstances where a number of our seniors were coming off injuries They really uh, didn't have much of an opportunity to play uh, during the summer, and it, and it just was a really slow start for us. And it took a lot of experimentation trying to, to find uh, formations, lineups, players who meshed well together, and it kind of, you could see it coming together late in regular season but it was pretty um, uh, inconsistent and then when we got in the tournament I don't know what clicked uh, I don't know whether it was a girl saying you know what let's let's just start really playing here or whether it just was everybody you know finally getting it so to speak but we pulled off three games there that are as good as, as a, a three game run as, as we've ever had here in, in uh, my 25 years here uh, being involved in the program. It was really rather amazing to, to watch the level of, go from where it was to uh, to where it is right now.
1: Well, let's go deeper into that, folks, because if you don't know, check this out. They came in, I believe, with just six wins. They come out with nine wins, 500 record. But check out these scores. St. Louis in the first round, 3 nothing. George Washington, one day later, 2 nothing. And then on Sunday, Saint Joseph's, you won the championship game as the number seven seed by a score of seven to zero. What in the world happened in that game? Let alone those first two.
4: Uh, we uh, we came out just on fire. I mean, every pass was was perfect, uh, weighted perfect on the proper foot. Uh, looked like uh, whatever. Uh, we've got to copy whatever they ate for breakfast and, and let them do that again for, for the remainder of this season because they were uh, nearly perfect, frankly, and and uh, uh, just had a high energy. And we actually missed uh, two or three really, really good chances early in that game, uh, but we had St. Joe's on their heels. And, uh, you know, we kind of wanted to, to really um, – Make them work hard at defending in this game because they were uh, they scored a ton of goals during the year had you know had some some really uh, strong personality players and we thought well you know the best way to defend here is to to keep them on their heels and, and and play in our attacking third of the field and and it worked and we just you could see our confidence getting better once we scored the first goal. Uh, they just looked uh you know really down, and then we were able to to add to that and and it just you know momentum got going and and we just got better and better and no matter who we put in the game the the game kept going well for us and uh I'll tell you for an old guy being able to to sit there with a, a pretty nice lead in a and a final like that was. Uh, you know, it, it, it kept my heart uh, beating a little easier. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, I know you're a humble guy, but i got to believe these young ladies knowing that after, as you said, 25 years, 22 years as the top man, there's got to be a lot of emotion trying to send you out on the right way. Was that demonstrated there? Were there some extra special moments with your players, the administration, your family, everybody around winning this tournament and allowing you to go to the NCAA tournament?
4: You know, it started earlier than that. We had a, a administration here uh, uh, has been fantastic, and we had a uh, you know some some celebrations here at the field. They actually did for the last home game here. We we had Mike Tucker bobblehead day, and uh, uh, you know a couple of things like that, and we had had a, a celebration, a team celebration, and a family celebration uh, prior, and that carried over. And I, I you know yeah, I think the girls have have probably put a little bit of uh, extra effort into. Trying to help me, help send me off uh, the right way, and and um, yeah, it's a terrific bunch, and and really, that's that's kind of been the uh, the thing that's driven me the most this year, and and in terms of early on when we weren't having a ton of success uh, with results, it was still okay because just because the way these uh, this this group of young ladies handled themselves, they were. They've been from, from the very get go nothing but hardworking, no complaining, just going out doing their jobs, and doing it uh, as well as they could. And it wasn't it, it was it was tough for me to see that not rewarded with wins. And so now to get that and and, and to finally um, you know have them have the pleasure of, of being in an NCAA tournament. Situation is is real gratifying for me.
1: All right, twenty five years. I got to believe this A ten tournament title is going to rank up there. But can you give us uh, one or two of your greatest memories as the head coach for the Dayton Flyers women's program?
4: Oh man, I, I, our our first A ten title was in nineteen ninety six. We went in. There was only four teams uh, involved back at that time, and and I think we were the the, the third or fourth team. I don't even recall, but um, UMass was a, a national power back then, a top five team in the country, and everybody expected them to, to roll through this. Uh, we only had two goalkeepers on that team, Dean, and and one of them got injured uh, about midway through the season. And the night before we got on the plane to go to the tournament up in Rhode Island, uh, our other keeper rolled her ankle and broke it. So we had to go to that tournament using a little 5-5 defender who had never played in goal before, uh, uh, in goal, and we said, you know what, let's just go out score people. So, in the semifinal, we won four to three against Fordham, and then played, uh, you know, played the big strong UMass team, and and uh, somehow find a way to to come out with a three to two victory there, and and uh, that'll always rank up there as as one of my top ones for sure. Um, we had a, a, a 1998. Uh, we we lost at home here after being up one to nothing and Xavier in, a, in the A10 uh, tournament final, um, up 1-0, and we gave up a goal off of a set piece with with uh, under 10 seconds to go. That one is memorable, and what makes it even more memorable was the following year we ended up playing them again in the final up at up at UMass and. Uh, 00 game a really hard fought game and uh, Megan McKnight one of our one of our really strong players over the course of, of our history uh ended up scoring on a free kick with 5 seconds to go so that's sweet revenge and that was the year 1999 that uh was our first NCAA tournament appearance as well and I think there was some divine intervention in that game both of my parents had passed away uh, earlier in the year and so uh, but it got us in the NCAA where we won our first game at home with Evansville and then, uh, you know, got to play Notre Dame away and didn't, didn't do so well. 2001 was a sweet 16 year. Um, so uh, winning the final uh, to, to get uh, in, in the early round games, we played Maryland and got pummeled, but somehow found a way to win one to nothing. And then we beat Miami of Ohio and played out at UCLA. in the Sweet 16 or a great game. And, uh, and then of course this one here, uh, uh, this ranks up there. This this whole A10 tournament is certainly huge in my memory bank. Um, just to have the kids rebound from the season the way they did and put on that kind of a performance. And then I have to I have to mention one you probably don't even never heard about, and it's not even involved in the college game. Back when I was a club coach, uh, 1987, we had the pleasure of taking on my my. U-14 club team, uh, the Cardinals, to, uh, to England to play, and I had the pleasure of being the first, uh, first coach of a women's game at Wembley Stadium.
1: Wow. Yeah, that's so, awesome. Now
4: That will always stick in there as well.
1: Yeah, indeed. Okay, so as we wrap it up here, and um, we certainly, you know, we're pulling for you against the Ohio State Buckeyes to keep the run going. You mentioned some health issues. Now you're going to hang it up. What are your plans? How is your health? Kind of tell us where Mike Tucker is now and what you're going to be doing now that uh, you won't be the head coach of Dayton Flyers anymore.
4: Well, health is pretty good uh, right now. I'll be sixty-eight here in about a week, so uh, you know things start creaking and groaning a little bit. But uh, <laughs> but I'm doing fine. I'm uh, you know I have intentions of catching all the flyer games here uh, in the future. But uh, you know I have a daughter in, in Texas and another uh, up in northern Ohio, and the grandkids are growing up, and and I haven't gotten to see a lot of that. So my wife and I are going to travel. Do you know? Do things with the family, see all the national parks, things like that, and just kind of enjoy this whole retirement life. And I don't have a real roadmap for that yet, but we'll we'll figure it out on the run.
1: All right, and we hold off retirement if we do these three things against Lori Walker's Ohio State
3: Buckeyes.
4: We have to uh, we have to keep the ball and and play with poise and and energy like we did uh, in these past three games. Um, we have to make sure that we defend with, with passion and and smartly because uh, they you know they're a strong team with a lot of personalities as well and and uh, you know I think uh, grow up uh, don't let the moment uh, be too too much for uh, for us uh, being in the NCAA it should be the same as as approaching the A10 Turner we do those things we'll uh, have success.
1: Mike Tucker, I've been lucky enough to call a lot of college soccer games. One of my great memories, though, was that thrill over Boston U. You and your coat and tie walking across the field with your hot dog before uh, kickoff as well. That one just sticks in my mind, and the finish was right there, Mike Tucker. So thanks for uh, being a part of my one of some of my best memories calling college soccer.
4: Dean, thank you. Uh, it's much appreciated. And, uh, you know, I, I want to stay part of the NSCAA too and thank them for uh, everything they've done for me over the years.
1: Well, they'll definitely want you around. All the best with your family. Congratulations. Good luck against the Buckeyes. And thanks for being on the program, Mike.
4: Thank you, Dean. Take care. We'll see you.
1: How do you not love Mike Tucker, and how happy are you that he decided not to build boats as he built an unbelievable program in Dayton? Okay, D1 women's soccer. We've talked about it. How about D1 men's soccer? The Maryland Terrapins are still your number one team in the country. Miraculously, back-to-back weeks, they knocked off the University of Michigan in double overtime by a score of 3-2 to two in the regular season, then in the Big Ten quarterfinals. They head on to the Big 10 men's soccer tournament as the number one team in the country. I'll have the call on the Big Ten Network at Friday noon and 230 Eastern time on the Big Ten Network and then Sunday afternoon as well for Championship Sunday as it's Maryland taking on Michigan State, it's Wisconsin taking on Indiana. Of course, the ACC is rolling along as well. Wake Forest has been amongst the top four since seems like we rolled out the first ball. Bobby Muse in just his second season has two ACC regular season titles. And Bobby Muse faces Louisville tonight, the time of this taping, as they try to win an ACC tournament. You know they're going to be dangerous in the NCAAs as well when that field is announced next Monday. And we've got Bobby Muse when we come back on the NSCAA College Soccer Podcast.
0: The 2017 NSCAA convention will be unlike any before. Taking over the downtown Los Angeles Convention Center January 11th through 15th. Network with over 11,000 peers at one of the education sessions, the extensive exhibit hall, or one of many social functions, including the college coaches reception and the all american Luncheon. With more space and unique experiences, you won't want to miss out on the largest gathering of soccer coaches and administrators in the world. Register today at NSCAA.com.
1: All right, want to thank Jennifer Rockwood and Mike Tucker for being a part of our Division 1 women's discussion. Now we are pleased to be joined by the head coach of Wake Forest, now in his second season, Bobby Muse. So what a job he has done. Back-to-back regular season titles in the ACC. Are you kidding me? And still alive in the ACC tournament. A brilliant run last year where they were number one most of the year, falling to the eventual national champion Stanford Cardinal in in the Elite Eight. And Bobby, here you are doing it again. You play tonight as we're recording this on Wednesday against Louisville in the ACC tournament. Great success in your two years. You must be having a great time at Wake Forest. Uh, Well,
6: first off, I appreciate you having me, Dean. It's uh, it's definitely been a blessing and something i got to pinch myself every once in a while and, and and say is this for real because it's uh it, it's been a it's been an incredible two years and an incredible run and i've been very very fortunate um, to coach uh, some of the best players in the country and uh and hopefully this run continues here over the next couple of weeks
1: all right. We're going to get back to that, but let's talk about your path there because certainly you're not just blessed. You're a big time coach because Wake Forest is getting it done, but you have had some blessings along the way, though. You played at uh, Southern Connecticut State under the legendary Ray Reed. You suffered an injury at the same time he took the job at UConn and he convinced you to come over to UConn to finish your collegiate academic time and work with that program while you're still like under 22 years old. I mean, that's pretty phenomenal as he paved the way to your coaching career. Talk about.
6: What that time meant under Ray Reed? Uh, it's everything. I um, I'm the man I am today uh, because of Ray. Um, yeah, and, and, and <laughs> I wouldn't call him Ray. It's, it's because of Coach. Um, you know, from the day that he came into my house. Um, in East of New York, you know, when I was a, a senior in high school to today, uh, he's he's one of the most important people in my life as far as a father figure. And uh, you say he convinced me to come to UConn. It was an easy one, you know. He told me no, and and, and obviously I, I jumped at the opportunity to better myself, both professionally and uh, and academically. And it's a it's a day that I've uh, I, I've I have never looked back on and and extremely um, extremely grateful and thankful for. Well, without the opportunity to ask Coach Reed, what did
1: he see in you at just twenty-one years old, particularly after you had that injury, for him to say, you know what, you still have great value, you can help us, and you can help yourself.
6: Ah, uh, you know, I, <laughs> I wish I knew at that time. I know, um, you know, the the, the great thing and, and something I don't think I can really explain in, in terms of words is. The, the staff that uh, was at Southern Connecticut and uh and was at UConn and continues to be at UConn with coach Dealy being a New York Long Island native, coach Reed being a Long Island guy, George Kiefer head coach of South Florida now doing great things there, was at UConn with us and Southern Connecticut and you know um it was just it felt like home um and I think uh he pressed my buttons both as a, as a father figure, as a, as a boss, as a coach. Um, and he has an incredible way of getting the best out of people. Um, and and as the person you don't know that he's doing that (laughs) and uh, I definitely uh, I probably wasn't Coach Reed's favorite um, in terms of players and maybe when I worked for him but uh, everything he was doing had meaning and uh, I look back at all the lessons that I've learned now today and it definitely makes me a better person and certainly a better coach Okay Bobby, so the next button that was pushed was the opportunity to
1: leave Connecticut and join the staff at Wake Forest Talk about that decision, how did that
6: go down? It was uh, it was an interesting one. Um, you know, Jay Vidovich, uh reached out to, to Ray uh, in the spring of 2000 after we just won the national championship uh, with the Huskies. And, you know, he said, uh, you know, Jay Vidovich, you know, has an interest in bringing you down there and taking a look. And obviously I came down, and, and my first thought is, what can I, you know, um, a third assistant at the University of Connecticut bring uh, to a team like Wake Forest and the ACC? And, you know, Jay welcomed me with open arms, and uh, and we haven't looked back since.
1: Okay, so there you are with some great teams, won a lot of soccer games as an assistant coach. When did you say, you know what, when I get an opportunity to interview for a D1 job, I'm going to do that? Talk about that process and then when the call from Denver came.
6: Well, you know, it's, it's, it's again, I, I used the word blessed. I, I had, I wasn't looking to be a head coach. i um, not saying I didn't have ambitions or wants but I wasn't looking. You know, Jay, maybe a month before uh, I took the Denver job, Jay and I, and I've turned down a Division One job maybe a month before that, uh, just because I was very happy um, at Wake Forest. I believed in the university. I, I believed in our student-athletes, the administration. Uh, we had a great recruiting class coming in, uh, and-, and we just came off a Final Four year, and I was happy. You know, I was learning. My relationship with Jay was special. Uh, I was getting better each and every day, and we were And um, it was just unique because the phone rang and it was the University of Denver. And at first I was like, well, you know, I don't even I I didn't even know if I had an interest. And when I went out there and saw what they wanted to do and the ambitions that they had, Jay and I came back and met and and both realized this was an opportunity that I couldn't pass up. And extremely thank you that uh, thankful that uh, that Peg Bradley Doppis and and the University of Denver gave me an opportunity. Such a young guy. So
1: you go out there and you start winning games and. I'm not sure. I mean, Denver just doesn't lose any games, you know, even with Jamie Franks, who's been on this program, a player who started at at Wake Forest. But how did Denver did, I guess better said the time at Denver, talk about uh, your experience out there.
6: To be honest with you, it was a learning experience. You know, I think I was, uh, I was very fortunate at the beginning um, to have guys that were hungry and wanted to win and, and wanted to, to be the first to do something. And we were very fortunate to do that. And, you know, got, uh, got to the NCAA tournament and then it, and we started, you know, getting, um, You know, a a taste of success. But with that, we had some up and down seasons too, and that's where I've learned. You know, more. uh, I think you learn so much more from the difficult times in college soccer, professional soccer, and sport in in itself. And um, I reflect on those seasons, you know, every year and see what can I do better where we don't have a repeat of that. And it's changed me as a coach. It's changed me as a man. Um, But we had our ups and downs. But ultimately. Uh, needed to really find and pave a way. And I think any young coach, you got to say, okay, I've been greatly influenced by people like Ray Reed and Jay Vidovich. Uh, It took me a little bit of time to say, this is me, and this is who I want to be, the coach I want to be, the mentor I wanted to be. And I felt like, um, especially towards the end of my career at the University of Denver, I was continuing to grow and really starting to understand who I was and what I wanted and who I wanted to surround myself with. And I think that was extremely important. Well, eight amazing seasons at Denver. And then
1: Jay Vitovich kind of shocked everybody because, uh, let's say the least, right, by saying I'm going to go into MLS and work under Caleb Porter at Portland. I think all of us are still a little bit shocked by that and thus not too surprised that he's now back in coaching, coaching in the ACC at Pitt. But first of all, how surprised were you when Jay left? Did he tell you he was leaving? And when he did tell you, did you automatically think, hey, I want that job?
6: It was a whirlwind of emotions. To be fair, I was extremely happy for Jay. Um, I know that he's—he's—you know—was always wanted um, the opportunity um, to coach pros. Very fortunate here at Wake Forest to to, to have coached a ton of them, um, and and I think he was ready for that opportunity and that experience. So, whirlwind of emotions because. You know, you you had and you feel that you have something very good going in Denver, but you also, Wake Forest has a very special place, you know, in my heart. Um, And it's in the best soccer conference in America. And it was, I think, when um, my family and I looked at it, it was an opportunity that we couldn't pass up if we were given it. Uh, And I've been, you know, extremely grateful and blessed uh, that Ron Wellman believed in me and gave me the opportunity. Okay, so he gives you the
1: opportunity. And, you know, I know Jay left you some great players but Bobby you know you still got to be able to coach those players. Two ACC regular season titles I mean that is a war zone unlike no war zone in men's college
6: soccer. It's incredible. How did you do it coach? <sighs> I wish I knew. I tell people all the time I I look back at it and, and, and this last year and a half has gone incredibly fast and I think that's, that's always good when you're winning it makes the seasons go faster but you said it best at the start of that. Is I have incredible student athletes, um, the the cream of the crop. You know, we have some of the very, very best players in the country uh, in a lot of positions here at Wake Forest, and you know, Coach Jay and his staff did an incredible job of definitely leaving the cupboard full. Um, and and. To say that I didn't take this opportunity and you know, I did not take a day of it for granted, I think is I did not want to change how we wanted to play or the approach in which we would play here at Wake Forest. We you know, take great pride in trying to play what we feel is a good brand of soccer. Um, and I wanted to do it with a little bit of a free spirit and an enjoyable environment and a positive culture. Uh, but th- these student-athletes were hungry. They wanted to win. They wanted to continue a tradition. And uh, the only thing that I say is, is I'm going to do everything I possibly can to help them succeed both on and off the field. And that's something that I, uh, I, you know, I take great pride in. But these student-athletes from the day I got here until today um, continue to amaze me. Um, and, and they definitely, they definitely don't make my life that that difficult with their ability to play and their passion to win and develop. Speaking of playing, when this show airs, the result will
1: already be in against Kenny Lola and Louisville Cardinals. But not knowing the result as you play tonight, hours before uh, as we're recording right now, Louisville's always very good, always well coached. In fact, you can say that about all the ACC teams. What do you got to do to win
6: tonight in Winston Salem? We have to play. We have to play our game. We have to have a very good performance. And as you said, is there is no easy game in this conference. And, uh, you know, I, I tell people I got here and, and I was like a dirty blonde guy with no gray hair, and now I've got a gray beard <laughs> and almost a head of gray. Um, it is a... Uh, it's a game of inches um very very well coached team you know coach lola always organized extremely dangerous in the attack our guys we you know we're going to have to keep the ball uh we're going to have to keep it in higher areas of the field and we're definitely going to have to deny transitional opportunities and more importantly we have to take our chances we're a team that you know generates you know between 15 and 18 shots a game but we haven't been fortunate to score maybe as many goals as we want we've just been scoring enough uh which i'd rather take you know i'm i'm happy with that we've We've got 11 clean sheets and, you know, one of the lowest goals against average in the country. And we're definitely going to have to be uh, stingy defensively here tonight against Kenny Lola's Cardinals.
1: All right. So rating the importance of winning the ACC tournament and also being rested for the NCAA tournament. How do you balance all of that? Because it's a discussion, as you know, Bobby, that happens every year about this time.
6: Uh, 100%. You know, I think we've... as a a coaching body of the ACC have really sat down and made some I think very very good decisions to, to better the ACC tournament Um, to go Wednesday, Sunday, Wednesday, Sunday, uh, instead of the old format Dean used to know when we were in carry and, you know, we're playing three games in four days or five days where teams come to NCAA tournament are extremely exhausted. So, you know, the winner of tonight's game will play in Charleston on Sunday, which I think will be an incredible game for whoever has the opportunity to do that and experience. And then most likely in this conference, the teams that are playing in that game, are going to get a first round bye So we do have a week off. So it's, uh, there's no excuse now, really, in terms of resting players for the NCAA tournament. I think anyone in this conference will tell you um, that winning the ACC tournament uh, is as difficult, if not more difficult, than winning the NCAA tournament. And I think it's, uh, it's a trophy that, um, that Wake Forest hasn't won since 1989, and it's something that we, we want to uh, make our alumni proud, the student body proud, and this, uh, this athletic department proud, and seeing if we can get back to a final Um, and hopefully hoisting a trophy next Sunday. I love
1: that answer because, uh, as you know, I'll be calling my 10th straight Big Ten men's soccer tournament on the Big Ten Network this weekend, and they've also tried to make changes. But they're still Friday, Sunday, and the coaches are still a little bit worried about that wear and tear. But you know for a fact, Sasso Saroski with the number 1 team in the country and so much history in the ACC, and then Todd Yagley's Indiana Hoosiers as well, always a top-10 team. They're looking ahead to the NCAA tournament as well. The top 25 in the NSCAA is blanketed with ACC, See teams, and then you see Indiana in there, and you see Maryland as the number one. Is Maryland the team to beat uh, as you approach the the tournament, or is it Wake Forest? Because Wake Forest is number
6: two. <laughs> well, I'm going to tell you what. The team to beat is the team that's uh, that's sitting in front of you in the bracket, and that's all you can really concentrate on. You look at, uh, what was the last time the top four seeds were in the final four? You know, it's a blessing to get one of those. We were very blessed last year, but um, it, it, it you just have to focus and take it one game at a time. I mean, I like I like sneaking up on teams. I think we did a good job of that last year, but we definitely have a target on our back, and you know I know Maryland does, and you know all the ACC teams and all the Big Ten teams. I think if we're fortunate and and, and, the, and the selection show goes the way this conference wants, there's a possibility to having nine teams in the NCAA tournament, and that that's something that uh, you know we have to take great pride in as a conference. Um, you know, I know there's a lot of a lot of conferences out there that probably say, you know, um, you know, we're the best conference. But I think it it definitely shows day in and day out that the ACC is the best conference in America. Um, but in terms of who to beat. You know, it's just the team that's going to be in front of us in our bracket, Maryland's bracket, anybody's bracket.
1: Well, you were an assistant coach for quite some time, so we'll end with the notion that you know the NSCA does a great job recognizing top head coaches. But one of your coaches last year, Dane Brenner, won the assistant coach of the year, named after Glenn Mutschmairnick, one of the legends of the game as well. Steve Armist is there with you as well. You got a great coaching staff. You know how important they are coach
6: Oh, it, it's to be fair is what an incredible award for Dane last year to to, to really what he went through because he was here um with coach Jay uh, and he went through uh, the transition of head coaches, which is never easy and to say that it was seamless would be you not fair to Dane um there was definitely some you know there were there there, there were some difficult times in terms of us getting on the same page and in in a positive way. Um, but the way he's recruited, um, the way he's continued to, um, you know the tradition of Wake Forest and our relationship was I, I've known Dane for a long time I actually recruited him here at Wake Forest uh, before he went to, to South Florida but I've been extremely blessed with I feel two of the best assistant coaches in the country a a huge recruit for us a little bit over a year ago was um, was getting Steve Armist to come here um great playing career he was a head coach at Campbell for six or seven years, and you know to get a head coach on staff with me um and Dane has been. Uh, i've been extremely extremely lucky and uh, i lean on those guys more than anybody knows and after all the moves melody
1: cameron blakely rylan how they like in winston-salem
6: well it, it it they they love it um I, winning certainly helps uh, i've been you know uh god has blessed me with uh with melody that you know both professionally and personally has changed my life and uh you know i think we 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 uh we go through any ups and downs like a married couple of a of of a college coach's staff but uh you know she is there with me every step of the way and you know the kids are amazing it's the one thing that uh when you get home and see faces um you know of the kids it puts everything in perspective so uh, again i've been i said it a lot but you know i i i do have to pinch myself every once in a while because i i i have been extremely blessed and and humbled with the opportunities that i've been given I feel like
1: I'm part of the Wake Forest staff. As a longtime voice for the Carolina Railhawks, we call it Wake Forest Light. So it's a pleasure to spend some time with you. Everybody I talk to about you, Bobby, says great things. And, of course, you're getting it done on the field as well, off the field. Great student athletes. Listen, good luck against Louisville, and good luck uh, for what uh, we think will be a long run in the NCAA tournament.
6: Well, Dean, I really appreciate it, and uh, thanks for the kind words, and we're going to do everything we can to, to try to keep this thing going. This is a special group of guys, and um, I'm hoping that we can end in a special way. So
1: another man that's going to be in Winston-Salem tonight for that Wake Forest-Louisville game is Ken Neal. If you don't know that name, you probably should. He's one of the better producer-directors of college soccer you'll ever find. He was a former agent for college players, making that next level. He's helped pro teams also get established and move on. working with Richmond and other teams along the way ken neal actually started college soccer weekly on television back in the early 90s so he has been around the game forever and guess what as you know i love to go back in history here as part of the nscaa college soccer podcast and it's the perfect time to bring ken neal on it'll be ken neal around the corner on the nscaa college soccer podcast
0: The NSCAA is 75 years strong and continues to provide quality service and benefits to soccer coaches. Whether you're a youth, high school, college, or professional coach, the NSCAA works to be a voice for you. Speaking of voice, once again, here's Dean Linke.
1: Ken Neal is a name familiar to soccer coaches across the country. And it's been a name familiar to soccer coaches across the country for a long, long time. Why? Well, he started covering college soccer in the early 90s, including broadcasting the national championship game. Then... From 1993 to at least 1997, he started a weekly program on television called College Soccer Weekly. He's also been an agent at times. The name of his company now is Alliance Sports Management. He's a bigger time producer, director than he ever was. He does all the sports. He's done NBA. He's done international soccer. You name it, he's done it, and he's with us now. Ken Neal, thanks for being with us.
7: Thanks for having me, Dean.
1: Yeah, it's great to have you, and uh, this is NSCA College Soccer Podcast number 11, so the guests have been fantastic. And you are a great addition to our list of guests. And with you, though, I want to do past, present, and future. So first off, let's go way back to the early 90s. How did you get into covering college soccer? I want to hear your story.
7: Well, we'll try to do it as briefly as possible. Um, As people will remember, in uh, 1992, uh, there was a school called Davidson College. Uh, One of your buddies, Charlie Schlegel, was the head men's soccer coach at that time. And they made a magical run to the NCAA Final Four, led by Rob Ucrop, the nation's top scorer at that time. Really, their success that season was part of the impetus for how this all got started. I'm a Davidson graduate, so I had a relationship with the college. And at that time, there were two people who were working for the school. One was Terry Holland, who was the athletic director. The other was Pat Millen was involved in marketing and communications for the school. And then certainly Charlie, as we all know, is a consummate salesman. So he was trying to do everything he could to try to elevate the status of the program and to put Davidson on the map from a community standpoint. And those three folks really concocted this idea with, quite honestly, Terry Holland as the linchpin and all this to televise for the first time the NCAA men's soccer semifinals and finals live. And in order to do that, Terry, who at the time was on the men's basketball selection committee, had to somehow convince CBS, which owned the rights at that time to the NCAA soccer tournament, to allow for somebody else to broadcast those games live. He was successful in allowing us to do the semifinals, which aired on Sports South, which was a brand new regional cable system, you know, company outlet that at the time was owned by Ted Turner and Turner Sports. CBS still did the championship game that year between Virginia and San Diego in a tape-delayed format, but that weekend of soccer in Davidson that featured the Davidson Wildcats and Although they lost to San Diego in that semifinal, it was from that that really everything started. And those three guys, I mean there, there certainly are a lot more who subsequently were really involved in the project. But those three guys at Davidson, along with myself, were kind of front and center relative to getting it on television.
1: Those are power player people that you just mentioned and certainly right place, right time with you being at Davidson. It all comes together. Coming off of that championship game, you even went further. You started a weekly program during the college soccer season called College Soccer Weekly. The old-time coaches still talk about that show, Ken. Why was it so special?
7: Well, a lot of it had to do with, uh, again, some other people who kind of came to the fold. After that weekend, we all kind of sat down and had a meeting and, One of the leaders of that group was a guy named Ken Chartier, who at the time was working for Adidas. And Adidas really wanted to own the college soccer space. With Ken and Pat Millen's kind of marketing expertise and the financial resources that Adidas brought to the table, we all kind of decided that, you know, what better way to showcase the college game than to try to do a weekly show. Subsequent to that, the guys at that time, Eurosport, Mike and Brendan Moylan, who, you know, are still huge advocates of the game under their current company sports endeavors. Uh, Those guys, you know, also played a huge role in terms of, you know, not only with Adidas in terms of selling their product, but also as advocates for the college game. And and providing some financial resources to help us with the show. There were a couple of other entities, a guy named Bill Irish at Sports South, which subsequently you know, morphed into a Fox Sports Regional because we had to have carriage of the show. So at the time, I was working for a company called Jefferson Pilot Sports, which is now Raycom Sports, and they gave the blessing to provide the production resources to do the show. Adidas and Eurosport, kind of the financial backing. And then at the end of the day, Dean, it was college coaches. I mean, none of this would have happened without Anson Dorrance, Mark Burson, Bob Warming, Jerry Yagley. I mean, the list is really long. Sacha Swarovski, the leadership of the NSCAA and the coaches that make up that group and their willingness. You know, Anson Dorrance would get in the car drive from Chapel Hill to Charlotte, do a four-minute segment of the show, and drive back. He wasn't getting paid to do it. The same was true for other coaches. You know, we were lucky that we're in a hotbed of relative to the Charlotte market, you know, with the ACC being as good as they've been for so long. You know, we've had quality programs, and so we could aggregate those programs locally and and try to do it as cost-effectively as possible. But without the willingness of those coaches to participate, it
1: never would have happened. In 30 seconds or less, because I want to move on to present, why did it end around ninety seven, ninety
7: eight? Well, the biggest reason was ESPN subsequently took over the championship rounds for virtually all the sports except for college basketball. And that really was a a big part of it we you know we lost the horsepower of the fox regionals in terms of the syndication ability espn at the time had an interest certainly in championship weeks but they didn't have as much of an interest in a weekly show now obviously now they have espn fc and but that's more of a international based show they may talk a little college soccer when they get to this point in the season but that was really the you know the biggest part of it is once we lost the rights to the championship weekends. It just made it a lot harder to then sell, you know, a weekly show without that sort of carrot
1: at the end of the year. So you weren't too surprised then for about 10 years when Fox Soccer jumped in with the college soccer game of the week, granted, not during the NCAAs, which is part of how you're program started and then now today the modern day NSCA college soccer podcast also in this area I'm just down the road from you in Chapel Hill and and certainly it's not that difficult to get guests all over the country but uh, certainly by the proximity to great soccer it continues to roll on so you weren't too surprised by that long run.
7: I wasn't surprised by it at all and you know there were a lot of factors in terms of the success that we had in the mid-90s you know a lot of people forget that in 1994, there was a hockey lockout. Um, That season was shortened to less than 50 games. And so at the time, the advent of regional sports networks was so prolific that those networks needed programming. And a lot of them had, you know, hockey was their bell cow at that time. And when it went away, they needed something else. And college soccer, because we already had the syndication mechanism to do it, that filled you know, massive programming slots at that time. And and that certainly helped the proliferation of the coverage and made the product that much more successful.
1: Okay, so let's talk present day because you are all over Major League Soccer. You produce and direct uh, multiple Major League Soccer games every year you certainly know the impact that college soccer has made on major league soccer over the years. So kind of in a stir the pot, mix it all together, sort of take with major league soccer's enormous growth. And where college soccer sits today, where do you see college soccer's role right now in this country, men and women?
7: Well, I hope it still continues to play a massive role relative to the domestic leagues. It was interesting. I was doing the nycfc toronto fc playoff series and you look at toronto's roster greg Vanny, their head coach came from a college soccer background at ucla robin frazier their assistant coach was a college graduate from florida international so they've got college soccer pedigree involved there and so i think they see the value of it but you would think in a international setting, which Canada is relative to MLS, that you know, they would have been able to pull a majority of their roster from other countries, including Canada. But the reality of it is they got nine kids on their roster who played college soccer. Now granted they got Sebastian Giovinco Who's an out of this world talent? But in this era where, you know, we still got a salary cap league, I think from a development standpoint, that college soccer environment has proven successful. Now, some coaches in MLS are opting to not delve as deep or to try to identify those players prior to their college experience. For me, I certainly wouldn't give up on college soccer from a development standpoint. And I think the proof is, you know, in the metrics that those kids are valuable relative to your roster.
1: Well, one of the reasons we wanted to have you on, well, several reasons. Obviously, you're a historian for the game based on what happened during your days at Davidson and how you took off from there and you went on to do so many college soccer games and probably still do quite a few college soccer games in your very limited spare time but now your take on MLS but a key reason we wanted to have you on and the best way to end our discussion with you although I got to tell you Ken we could go hours because your knowledge is so deep but you're hearing Sasho Saroski and other coaches in fact other coaches have told me Dean it's not just Sasha. all of us or at least 90 percent of us would like to go to this full academic year so don't forget us as well but when I talked to you about it, you said, hang on, there's one big issue, and sure enough, you work in it. It's television. You have the floor as articulately as you can. Explain why that could be the major hangup to that push to do a full academic year soccer season.
7: Well, I just, I, you know, for me, in talking to the coaches, you know, I, I hear you, and I hear on the men's side that, that you know, that movement is strong. Um, I get why, uh, you know, they want to do it. But I think part of the rationale is that by moving your championships into a spring season that it's gonna afford you a better broadcast time and window because you're not competing against the NFL, college football, college basketball, NHL. You know, and I get that. But I, I hope that before, you know, the decision is made to to move forward with this You know, folks are having conversations with broadcast networks to get some assurances that if they move into that spring window, that they're going to get comparative coverage for their NCAA championship runs. So that would, you know, mean starting four weeks out from that championship weekend, um, you know, that they're going to get that coverage in the same way that lacrosse, women's softball, college baseball, gets that coverage. That's my only hope. Whether whether that happens or not, I don't know because ESPN right now is so committed to those other sports relative to that and you still have major league baseball, you know, as part of the equation. It certainly is a more open broadcast space, but that will be key. I mean, you've seen Dean relative to the Big 10 network, the, you know, and the power that that's had Relative to their soccer programs, with what the women getting eight teams in to the NCAA tournament this year for the first time ever. The SEC network, the power of that has two of the top four women's seeds are from the SEC in Florida and South Carolina. A team like Arkansas, which hadn't even won an SEC tournament title since '96, you know, they advanced to the championship game last year, but getting kids to go there having the ability to showcase their program on television on a weekly basis or on a digital space, you know, every single game, you just can't underestimate the power of the medium. I just hope that if they do decide to go to the split season, that their conference championship weekends and the NCAA tournament, you know, is a part of the broadcast plan before they make that decision.
1: Finally, Ken, put you on the spot. If Sasso Saroski and the powers at the NSCA said, hey, we're in our final stages, Oliver Luck, even from the NCAA, we need some final input on how we're going to make this work. They said, Ken, would you like to be involved? What would you say? I know you're so busy, but based on your history with college soccer, would you, could you do it?
7: Sure. Oh, well, yeah, I would definitely be like to be a part of the process. Certainly my knowledge of the broadcast space and the soccer space in general, I've got a lot of had a lot of success in that arena so i'm always available coaches know that and uh as you know i'm uh, i'm as big an advocate of the college game as anybody out there and and i wanted to continue to succeed and and make it better and so i'll do anything i can to try to help with that
1: what a great way to end ken neal he does it all folks and i got to tell you 20 plus years of broadcasting he remains the best producer director i've ever worked with ken thanks for being with us thank you dean
0: by being a member of the NSCAA, you are a part of the world's largest network of soccer coaches. Here, you can find like-minded people passionate about bettering themselves to help better their players and ultimately to better the game.
1: Great starts the program, talking D1 women, D1 men, and a stroll down memory lane with the very talented Ken Neal. Now we move to D2. We start with women. little movement this week as Western Washington University continues to claim the top spot with a 19-0 in one record. Grand Valley State University hoes on to the number two position while the University of Central Missouri moves up one to claim the number three spot this week, bumping Westchester University down to the number four. Columbus State University continues to round out this week's top five, and I'm proud to say four of those top five, their coaches have been on this program. For D2 men, we have some movement this week. We've got a new number one team. Before we get to them though, Wingate University is now at number two. Simon Fraser University holds on to the number three spot. The University of Charleston and Lynn University continue to round out this week's top five. Going back, to the number one spot, Liu Post moves up to number one with a seventeen zero and one record. And we are joined by their head coach by way of Sweden, Andreas Lindberg. Andreas, thanks for being on the program. Uh, thanks for having me. All right, remind us, tell us when you came over from Sweden. How did that happen?
8: Oh, that's a long time ago. I came over here in '98 and uh, ended up playing and going to school at Southampton College, which was uh, part of Long Island University back then, and uh, spent four great years
1: here. So obviously you loved it but uh, get us some deeper information though on how you said hey I want to come to America to play soccer.
8: Well um, you know I like all uh, little kids that are playing soccer probably dreaming about becoming a professional soccer player and once I was around high school age realizing I wasn't good enough to do that (laughs) uh, but I was probably good enough to uh, to keep playing and it's very difficult in Sweden to play at a high level and go to university and study at the same time, and I knew a few people that had been over and, and to the United States and get themselves a degree and played soccer, and I contacted them, and they had some connections over here, and I had a couple of different offers and uh, ended up going to Southampton College.
1: All right, describe your college career, how to go for you, Coach.
8: Uh, well, we had um, a, a great time to start with. It was the most fun I ever had, but, you know, it was a good career, and we ended up making a national tournament and lost um, in the national quarterfinals in, in the fourth overtime, actually, against Southern Connecticut. They won a National Championship Division Two that year. So uh, it still, uh, still bothers me, that game. But uh, it, was, it was a great career and I had a lot of fun with it.
1: Wow, Southern Connecticut State had some iconic players playing for them as well. That's a great story. Okay, during your time as a player, when did you say or when did the light go off that said, hey, I want to be a coach?
8: Well, my senior year, uh, we had a new coach that it didn't really work out that well for us. And uh, the athletic director approached me even as a player and said if I had an interest of staying on and maybe taking over and becoming the coach. And at that point, I hadn't thought much of it. But um, once she asked me, um, and it was also, you know, my, I got a knee injury my senior year. Uh, I'm like, you know, I always wanted to coach, but I thought, maybe it was a little too early, started off coaching at the age of 24, but um, you know, it was one of those things. Opportunity came up, and I grabbed it, and haven't looked back since.
1: Well, obviously your team's having success. You roll into the tournament red hot. I think now your record overall is 120-28-13. That includes a 17-0-1 record right now, so things are going well. What uh, is the best way to describe your program at uh, Long Island?
8: Um, well, we have a lot of seniors this year. We have 14 seniors, so uh, it's like a self-played piano in a way. Uh, the boys know what to do, and we play the same system we've done for the last four or five years. And We've had a good culture and a lot of good leadership, so uh, you know, we play in an attack-minded style. We like to score a lot of goals. Uh, we've been organized defensively the last two years, which I think have put us in a good spot to compete on the national stage. And, uh You know, I'm I'm excited about this week. Can't wait to get started.
1: Yeah, you talked about the fact that, you know, 30-plus teams are in the D2 tournament, so you've got to navigate a few minefields. But do you have the team that can win a national championship? And if you do, what do they got to do right to bring home the trophy?
8: Uh, I think we're we're one of the maybe 10 teams that have a real chance to win a national championship. Um, You know, you have to stay healthy got to get a bit lucky. got to peak at the right time. And then it's about making plays. you got to have players on a team that are brave enough to make big plays. I think we have those players. It's playoff time. Though. <laughs> you know, if you don't do well in one game or you make one mistake, then uh, you can uh, pack your bags. So um, I think we're in the mix, though. I'm, I'm, I'm feeling good about where we are at the
1: moment. Andreas, we're pleased to see that you're certified by the National Soccer Coaches Association of America. You've got the Advanced National Diploma. You've also worked with U.S. Soccer. But talk about the time you spent with the NSCAA. What's that meant to your development, Coach?
8: Uh, A lot. You know, I started off going that route with NSCAA, and I learned so much. I was a young coach starting off in college, and, um, you know, the instructors that I had were really, really good, and, um you know, I felt like I developed a lot, but I also created even more of a love of the game as a coach. Um, you know, I, I can highly recommend for any coach at any level to get involved with those diplomas and those courses because um, it's not like you're reinventing the wheel, but a lot of times it's you, you're getting a new approach or you're being reminded of stuff. Um, and also the biggest thing for me was, you know, your, your colleagues other coaches and spending time with them and networking it's been great
1: all right finally one point that i do like as you talk about your development you also spent time under current liu post women's head coach mark dawson as an assistant so clearly there's some synergy there with the women's program as well talk about that connection coach
8: uh, yeah, Mark was actually my assistant coach when I came over here at Southampton College. And then we followed each other, really. You know, he was the the women's coach at Southampton. I became the head coach at Southampton. Then he went to post. And a, layer, uh, a year later, I came to post. Happens now to be my best friend. You know, we were <laughs> each other's best men at our weddings. It was, uh, it was uh, you know it 's great it 's very, very fortunate to be able to work with somebody like mark and he 's done a fantastic job in a women 's program and we feed off each other and the the players the, the the young men and women you know they hang out and support each other and we 're like one big family and I think it 's part of the both teams and both programs success
1: by way of Sweden, now here in his eighth season as the head coach of the l i u post pioneers men 's soccer team. Andreas Lindberg. Andreas, good luck in the Division II NCAA
3: tournament. We'll be pulling for you, Coach.
8: Thanks a lot. I appreciate it. Have a good one.
3: When you join the National Soccer Coaches Association of America, you join a community who live and breathe the beautiful game just like you do. You join a network of individuals who share many of the same issues, concerns, and questions as you. The NSCAA is dedicated to serving coaches at every level of the game in a number of ways through advocacy, education, and service. Be a part of the coaching community. Learn more and join at NSCAA.com.
1: Moving now to the D3 world with the tournament starting this weekend as well. We start with D3 women and some shakeups this week as William Smith College continues its reign at the number one spot with an 18-0 and 0 record. Trinity University of Texas jumps up one to snag the number two spot this week, bumping Williams College down to the number three. Thomas Moore and the College of New Jersey continue to round out this week's top five. On the Division Three men' level, some movement again this week as the University of Chicago continues to hold on to the number one spot with a sixteen zero and two record. Mike Baps has been on our program. Amherst College and Trinity University, Texas. Continue to claim the number two and number three spots this week while Messiah College moves up to snag the number four spot. And there was no way we were going to go the entire NSCAA college soccer podcast season without talking to someone from Messiah College. And Brad McCarty leads the men's soccer team. He is now his eighth year as the head coach. He's been with the program, though for 16 seasons. It's his alma mater as well, and Brad McCarty getting ready for the NCAA Division Three Tournament. Thanks for being with us, Brad. Thanks for having me. Brad, obviously, you graduated from Messiah College in '93. now 16 years as an assistant coach or a head coach. This program, extremely special to you. Tell us why.
5: Yeah, to be at an alma mater is brilliant. I've coached at other colleges, and, and those experiences have, have been tremendous. But to come back to where uh, you get to be a part of a program that invested in you and you get to pour your heart and soul back into it is is special. And, you know, I'm certainly interested in, in value Messiah and who it is and what it stands for as an institution, as an athletic department, and certainly as a soccer program.
1: All right. Well, you obviously were the assistant under coach Dave Brandt, who went on to Navy and now remind me where he is now.
5: He's with the Pittsburgh Riverhounds
1: in the USL. That's right. He's coaching professionally. Okay, so talk about that experience coaching under Coach Brandt before getting the top job.
5: Yeah, I you know I got to you know played soccer my whole life. Uh, played four years at Messiah. Played four years for the Charlotte Eagles in the USL. I was a head coach for a long time uh, for for seven years before I came to be Dave's assistant, but I learned more as Dave's assistant in in those uh, eight years than I did any of the stuff before. I think what Dave brings to the table is, I think, attention to detail and also a real intentionality regarding culture and environment. And those are some things that uh, are intangibles that have an impact on the culture and the feel of the program, and and makes this place unique.
1: Well, the first year you take over for Coach Brandt, you win another national championship for Messiah. Your first season as a head coach, your team went twenty four and one. What do you remember about that run, Coach?
5: <laughs> I think those were that those were big shoes to fill for Dave to leave. Dave was uh, integral to the program, who we are, what we did, and those those. That was difficult. I had one person, uh, Mike Zigarelli, who ended up writing a book about the Messiah Men's and Women's programs called the Masai Method. But he wanted to stick around and hang out with me throughout that first season, and I was like, no way! <laughs> like that, I, I was intimidated to to think about you know what ways I was going to wreck this program and 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 only make it worse. You know, David won six national championships and had been the, you know, NSCA coach of the year multiple times, how was I going to be able to have an impact?
1: Well, you've also been the coach of the year a couple of times, 2009 and 2012, but you mentioned that book. People know about that book. In your best way, what is the Messiah method, coach?
5: One of the things that we do really well is we have clear core values and do a good job of having clear expectations for our players that dictate a lot of things that coaches hope works out, you know, team chemistry, culture, environment. And, you know, I think we're really, really intentional. We don't just let things go to chance. We work hard at it and it's not perfect here. We don't have, it's not like we don't have problems or issues, but I think we give our players tools with which to handle challenging um, difficulties conflict, that type of thing. And I think we're really intentional, both on the field and off the field, for how we want it to look, how we want the team to interact, how we want to play. Those things uh, are very much something that is um, controlled.
1: I know you stand behind the mantra of Messiah College Athletics, which is pursuing athletic excellence and developing Christian character.
5: No, I talked about being supportive of Messiah as a college and we're a Christian school and you know that's woven into the fabric of everything that we do here at the college, whether that's in the classroom, in the dorm, or athletically. And so for as an athletic department, it's not something that we pay lip service to. I think our faith is real to us as coaches and administrators. You know, we are interested in what everybody's interested in in the end, when you talk about coaching and athletics, which is we want to have an impact on our players, right? We want to influence them in amazing ways. And, you know, I think we're interested in guys and, and women coming through the athletic department here with additional tools that they can have and go and be influential at in their work, in their families, and in their communities.
1: Well, you're Christian, but you're super competitive. Seventeen zero and three, twelve state victories, twelve straight victories. That is since October eighth, you've outscored your opposition twenty seven to one. Somehow, some way, they were able to get a goal last week, but you've been dominant as you roll into the NCAA tournament, which will be hosted by your university Saturday. If you win, you keep playing on Sunday. Knowing how hot your team is, can you make a deep run, Coach?
5: Yeah, I think we've done we've done well. As you've implied defensively, um, I think we've got a, st- a strong goalkeeper. I think we have a good back line. Um, I think we do well of maintaining possession of the ball. And that sometimes is your your best defense is being able to keep the ball and, and win the territory battle. You know, we haven't scored as many goals as we have in previous seasons when we've made deep runs. So that'll be interesting to see um, whether, you know, people say, you know, offense wins games, defense wins, wins championships that that'll be put to the test. Um, we, because I don't think we are as prolific offensively as, as we have been other years, but you know, we have scored, you know, eight goals in the last two games. So maybe that trend is, is changing.
1: The Messiah Method has Brad McCarty right back in the hunt again for another national championship at the D3 men's level. Always a pleasure, Brad McCarty, to spend time with you. Good luck this weekend, and good luck throughout the tournament. Thank you. Up next, Chad Waller does NAIA, Chad Waller style. Stay with us.
0: The 2017 NSCAA convention will be unlike any before. Taking over the downtown Los Angeles Convention Center January 11th through 15th. Network with over 11,000 peers at one of the education sessions, the extensive exhibit hall, or one of many social functions, including the college coaches reception and the All-American Luncheon. With more space and unique experiences, you won't want to miss out on the largest gathering of soccer coaches and administrators in the world. Register today at NSCAA.com.
9: Welcome to the NSCA podcast for the week of November 7th. I'm Chad Waller giving you exciting information again on all news around NAI Women's Soccer. Let's get started. Talk about an exciting time of year for NAI Women's Soccer. A number of teams are still competing in their respective conference tournaments. Many of these events are deep into their tournaments, and a few have already wrapped up. What's on the line for these remaining teams? One of 23 automatic berths for the NAI National Championship opening round. An automatic berth is earned by either winning that conference's regular season championship or conference tournament championship. Looking at a few of the conference tournaments going on, the Cascade Collegiate Conference tournament ended this past Monday as Carroll College and Northwest University earned two automatic berths to the National Championship opening round. Carroll winning it by virtue of a tournament championship in the Cascade Collegiate Conference and Northwest as the conference tournament runner-up. In the Chicagoland Collegiate Athletic Conference, Cardinal Stritch University earned an automatic berth to the National Championship by winning the CCAC Regular Season Championship. The CCAC tournament finals will be played on Saturday. In the Heart of America Athletic Conference, Benedictine out of Kansas earned an automatic berth by virtue of Regular Season Championship. The second auto berth will be given to the Conference Tournament Championship on Friday, November 11th. Similar to the Heart, The Kansas Collegiate Athletic Conference receives two automatic berths, with the first being Ottawa as the regular season champion, and the second will be going to the conference tournament champion, decided on Friday. Log on to NAI.org for all the women's soccer conference tournament updates. Looking at the latest NAI Coaches Top 25 poll, Spring Arbor earned its 10th straight number one ranking, which is just second all-time behind Lindsey Wilson's college 13 straight number one rankings, which occurred during the 2004-2005 seasons. The Cougars are still riding a 37-match unbeaten streak, which dates back to early last year. The defending national champions are 17-0-1 this year, heading into the Crossroads League Conference Tournament Finals, which is played against Marion. That 37-match unbeaten streak for Spring Arbor is not the longest all-time in the NEI. The Cougars are tied at number four all-time with former member Azusa Pacific with that 37-unbeaten streak. The all-time leader for unbeaten streaks is Mobile out of Alabama with a 48-match undefeated streak that spanned during the 97, 98, and 99 seasons. Individually speaking, Corey Good of Spring Arbor University was named the NAI National Women's Soccer Offensive Player of the Week, and Nicole McGuire of Morningside College was named the NAI National Women's Soccer Defensive Player of the Week. This was the final Player of the Week awards for the 2016 season. Good recorded three goals and one assist for Spring Arbor, tallying seven points in a 5 1 victory over Indiana Westland. Good recorded her second career hat trick, helping advance Spring Arbor to its seventh straight Crossroads League Tournament Finals appearance. In goal in two matches last week, Maguire recorded 10 saves in 200 minutes of play for Morningside College. Seven of Maguire's 10 saves came in a 1-0 victory over then number 10 Hastings. Her other three saves came against Northwestern out of Iowa in the GPAC Conference Tournament quarterfinals. The two shutout victories advanced the Mustangs to the GPAC tournament finals. Maguire is now Morningside's all-time leader with 55 saves, two shutouts, and four victories in postseason play. Coach Jimmy Hampton of Science and Arts out of Oklahoma is one win away from joining the 200-win club. He currently sits at 199. Best of luck to Coach Hampton. Looking ahead later this week, the 31-team national championship opening round field and pairings will be announced on Monday, November 14th at 11 a.m. Central Standard Time. Check back on nai.org for a link to the live selection show. That's Chad
1: Waller with your NAIA women's soccer breakdown. Now he does the same for men's soccer.
9: We are down to the end of conference tournaments as most of the 19 remaining conference tournaments are wrapping up this week. All of these schools are playing for one of the 24 automatic berths for the NAI National Championship opening round. And again, for review, an automatic berth is earned by either winning that conference's regular season championship or conference tournament championship. By the end of the day this Saturday, all 24 automatic bursts will be determined. Check out NEI.org for the latest scores and updates on all of those conference tournaments that are going on. We already have seven programs that have automatically qualified for the 31 team national championship opening round. And that's due to winning their respective conference regular season titles or conference tournaments. And those seven teams are Corbin University, Hannibal LaGrange University, Mid-America Nazarene University, the University of Northwestern Ohio, Oklahoma Wesleyan University, Olivet Nazarene University and Rocky Mountain College. Congratulations to all those student athletes and coaches. Defending national champion Rio Grande is still in the running for a national championship berth as the Red Storm are playing in the River States Conference Tournament semifinals on Wednesday against Asbury. The tournament finals are set for Saturday. And perhaps one of the earliest surprises within conference tournaments, looking at the American Midwest Conference Tournament, fourth seeded Lion and number three seed Columbia square off Friday in the conference championship. Top seeded Hannibal LaGrange, who we've already mentioned, has already automatically qualified as the regular season champion. They were knocked out in the semifinals of the conference tournament by Lyon. In the latest NAI Coach's Top 25 poll, Oklahoma Wesleyan finishes the regular season in the number one position, and that marks the eighth straight time the Eagles were ranked number one. The Eagles now have claimed the number one ranking in all eight regular season editions, marking the second straight team to do this. With an 18-0-1 record on the year, the Eagles are riding the longest active NA undefeated streak at 34 straight Windsor ties. During that 34-match stretch, the Eagles have gone 32-0-2. Which dates back to September of last year, the Eagles' undefeated streak is fourth longest in NAIA history, and seven more wins or ties would catch the Hastings, Nebraska program that did not lose in 41 straight matches that spanned the 2009, 10, and 11 seasons. The all-time record in the NAIA is 66 straight wins or ties, done by Rio Grande during the 02, 03, 04 seasons. Oklahoma Wesleyan faces McPherson College next in the KCAC tournament semifinals on Wednesday. There are three teams still remained undefeated in the NAI: Oklahoma Wesleyan as we mentioned, number 2 Hastings at 19-0-0, and the 6th ranked Campbellsville University out of Kentucky at 14-0-2. Looking further at Campbellsville, they're riding a 32-match undefeated streak dating back to early last year. With a 14-0-2 mark this year, the Tigers are 28-0-4 and take their streak into the Mid-South Conference Tournament semifinals against University of Cumberland out of Tennessee on Thursday. Individually speaking, Andrew Revanales of Lindsey Wilson College has been named the NAI National Men's Soccer Offensive Player of the Week for the second straight time. And Florian Dupuis has been named the NAI National Men's Soccer Defensive Player of the Week. In two matches last week, offensively, Revanales recorded four goals and one assist en route to nine points as the Blue Raiders defeated Midway and Pikeville. He posted a pair of goals in both games for the Blue Raiders. Revanales now has seven multi goal games this season. Defensively, Dupuis recorded nine saves in 181 minutes of play as he led the Falcons to two shutout victories over Ottawa, once against the Braves during the regular season finale and again in the conference tournament. Looking ahead later this weekend, the 31-team national championship field and pairings will be announced on Monday, November 14th at noon Central Standard Time. Check back on NAI.org for a link to the live selection show. Needing more NAI soccer news? Make sure to check us out on social media and follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram using the hashtag NAI soccer.
1: Great job as always, Chad Waller. Thanks so much. When we come back, we'll wrap up the show talking NJCAA Division One and Three men and women. We'll do that right after this message.
0: By being a member of the NSCAA, you are a part of the world's largest network of soccer coaches. Here, you can find like-minded people passionate about bettering themselves to help better their players and ultimately to better the game.
1: Time now to talk junior college soccer and the NJCAA Division III National Championships will take place this weekend, November 10th through 13th. The men are in Herkimer, New York with Richland College as the number one team. The women are in Toms River, New Jersey with SUNY Broome Community College 18-1-0 as the number one team. Next week, we'll tell you who won the national championship at the Division three level Junior College. At the Junior College Division I men's level, some movement this week as Tyler Junior College continues its reign at the top spot with a 20-0-0 record. Monroe College Bronx and Iowa Western Community College continue to claim the number two and three spots. Parkland College hangs on to the number four spot, while Trinidad State Junior College breaks into round out this week's top five. On the women level, no movement this week as Butler Community College and Paradise Valley Community College continue to claim a piece of the number one spot. While Iowa Western Community College hangs on the number four spot this week, Tyler Junior College continues to round out this week's top five, sitting at number three by virtue of that tie between Butler and Paradise Valley is Laramie County Community College, and we are joined by their head coach Jim Gardner. He enters his fifteenth season with the Golden Eagles women's soccer program. In addition to coaching, he's also a physical education instructor at Jessup at Miller Elementary Schools and coaches the girls' soccer team at East High School. You're doing it all in Wyoming right now, Jim.
10: Yeah, I've been doing that for a long time. Kind of get your lifestyle pinned in one way, and that's where you keep going.
1: Well, you've taught and coached for the past 34 years you're involved with the Cheyenne Sting Club as a coach, board member, and president for 10 years. Also coached wrestling at East High School for 22 years. So like you said, you've got your roots there in Cheyenne. Talk about what makes it so special there and also so special at LCCC.
10: Well, I think community, raising your family. It's a small town, but it's not. It's about 70,000 people, which is the largest in Wyoming since we're a small state. Um, the community atmosphere and the support you get from the schools and the... Uh, directors and administration is awesome. Uh, the community college has been a blessing. Um, I was a wrestler in college, and all I thought about was Division One over at the University of Wyoming and never had a clue what it could have been if I have went a different route. And then I got involved. I taught some adjunct classes out at uh, C for several years when I was younger and then uh, coached at the high school for a while. And all of a sudden, job opened up, and it's just been wonderful. And the uh, support and the administration and budget, and it's just been really a fantastic deal for us.
1: Talking about wonderful, your season this year is wonderful, 18-1-2. You haven't lost since back on August 27th at Trinidad State Junior College. You've been blowing out teams, 8 nothing wins a couple of times, 7 nothing wins multiple times, 6 nothing wins multiple times, and now you've just uh, won on penalty kicks at Snow College in the District C Finals, so you got to feel pretty good about your team, Coach.
10: Yeah, I'm I'm very pleased with them. It's one of the better teams. It's not the best. It's probably the best team as far as, you know, records and scoring. But, you know, from year to year, the conference is not as tough as it has been in the past. And so some of those goals were a little more easily earned than they have been in the past years. But uh, I'm very pleased with the way our team's playing and and the leadership and uh, chemistry that they have.
1: All right, educate us on where you sit now in the NJCAA Division One National Tournament. How many teams and what you got left to go?
10: Well, there's 12 teams. Uh, there's the way the NJCAA tournament works. There's three pools, and the top four seeds play on Monday and Wednesday, and then everybody else either plays Monday or Tuesday or Tuesday and Wednesday, and then the top four teams go to the semifinals on Friday, and. Uh, finals on Saturday so you've either got five games or four games in six days or four games in five days so it's a pretty rough week
1: and leading all up to the national championship which will be played when and where coach
10: uh Melbourne Florida I think it's set for 7 p.m on uh Saturday so that would be the twenty nineteenth. 19th
1: okay so what do you got ahead of you right now what's your next game when and where
10: play in Melbourne against uh, Schoolcraft out of Michigan and uh, they look to be a pretty good team. They've had a winning record as well and played some pretty good teams during the season, so we've got a work cut out for us. If Then the next day we would play would be Wednesday, and we have Eastern Florida, who's perennial power and hosts of the tournament.
1: Okay, so as you get into the tournament, this late final week in Melbourne, how do you scout the opposition teams that you haven't seen?
10: We have a lot of coaches that are friends and talk, and so that's the first thing I do is call the coaches I know that have played the other teams. And then there's game film on TV that a lot of different uh, schools have out there on YouTube, or other coaches will send you videos. So basically, same as we always do, watch video and talk to other coaches and and, uh, see where we go from there.
1: Big-time players have come through your program under your direction, 23 All-Americans, 11 Academic All-Americans, and 60 All-Region, 9 Performers. So certainly you need great players to have success. Talk about some of the quality of players you've had over the years, Coach.
10: Oh, we've had some phenomenal players over the years, and it's, it's uh, tough to rank them. But, uh, you know, we first started the program, we went local, and some of our best teams have been with our local kids that have been unnoticed or unseen. They're just such good athletes, but their soccer IQ grows so much so that they're able to get on the pitch and play at a higher level and going to junior college is exactly where they need to be to get that level up. Um, over the years with kids coming from Colorado and recently from overseas, it's made our, uh, our recruiting process a bit interesting and, and dynamics of the college have changed. But it's interesting to me how you get uh, kids that are local, that are Division One players that move on, or you have to go out of state or even out of uh, country to be able to get higher-level players to be able to move on. So I think at the top level at the junior college, 90% of the teams that have ranked at the top are some form of uh, international that have on their team.
1: All right, obviously you're here as part of the NSCAA College Soccer Podcast. You've been recognized by them back in 2013. You were the NSCAA Regional Coach of the Year at the college level, but then last year you were the NSCAA High School Coach of the Year, I do believe, for what you did as part of coaching high school in Wyoming, so clearly you value what the NSCA does in recognizing great coaching.
10: Oh, absolutely. I grew up going to the NSCA conference. I met some of my best friends there and um, mentors, and uh, I've just watched the coaches that have walked across that podium over the years and seen what they did and never imagined that it would end up 30 years later being there. So it's quite an honor, and I think it's one of the greatest programs there is.
1: But what about winning the N S C A high school coach of the year last year? That's gotta be pretty that's gotta be right up there, right?
10: Yeah, that was phenomenal. It was fun to share it with my family and it's neat because it's it's a body of work. You know, it's over a period of time and when you start out you never know how things are gonna go and it's so hard to continue coaching for a long period of time. I think there's a lot of people that aren't able to do that for one reason or another. So to be able to stay in it and have the success we've had over the years has just been one of the highlights of my, my life and my career. And I, I think it's neat to be able to be recognized for that over a body of work. You know, if you win it as a college coach, it's usually one year. If you win the national championship, you're uh, the college coach of the year. But uh, it's very difficult, I think, to get to high school because it takes so long and you're up against so many valuable and solid coaches.
1: Yeah, that's incredible. You know, we had Anson Dorrance on last week talking about the difference between coaching – men and women slash boys and girls. Now you've coached wrestling at each High School for 22 years, so you know about coaching young men, but you've had great success coaching college and high school women's soccer. Talk about uh, why you made the decision, You know, hey, I'm going to coach women here on the soccer side.
10: Well, I never dreamed I'd do that. I mean, being a wrestler in a 60-by-40 you know, room with sweat and kids beating up on each other and you doing the same, I never imagined I'd transition to a field bowl and a whistle or talking or yelling outside. Um, it was an interesting situation. Um, my kids had started playing and I'd been involved in the club program and I'd i played off and on. Um, and uh, It just kind of came up where the high school already had a couple state championships and they were looking for a coach and I kind of fell into it and then my education really started and the NSA has been a big part of that, educating and moving on. and I think the mentors I've had over the years with couple soccer coaches here in town, and um, the wrestling coach that I was assistant for made a huge difference. But uh, the jump to women's program was quite a bit different and took a, a adjustment for a while. But the rewarding part of it, where the females the women will give you what they have, has been very rewarding.
1: I love that answer. Okay, we started the program talking about what you've got to go through, the gauntlet, the grueling schedule to try to win an NJCAA Division One level for women's soccer. I know your team's excited to get to Melbourne and be a part of it. What's got to go right for you guys to walk away with a national championship?
10: Uh, we've been there. This is our eighth time over the years, and we've been third a couple times and lost in the semis in games we could have won. Um, it, it takes some depth for sure. of Four games in five or six days is is tough, I mean, we play two a weekend most of the time during the year, and that's hard enough, and trying to have some depth, so that's part of it and then I think being able to match up in your pool and what you do with the rest of the country is another part of it and then I think, as in all sports there's got to be some form of luck or or <clears throat> achievement at the end that that something happens for you that maybe you didn't expect and uh, i'm I'm excited for that I'm hoping that we can do that. I think we've got a strong and deep team that uh, can make the the final semifinals, but uh, getting through Eastern Florida will be a difficult chore and school craft as well.
1: Uh, you know it. We've uh, had the Eastern Florida coach on the program as well. Jim Gardner, the head coach of the Laramie County Community College women's soccer team headed to the NJCAA National Tournament down in Florida. Coach Gardner, good luck for you and the Golden Eagles.
10: Thank you very much, Dean. It was very nice talking with you.
1: Great to have Jim Gardner from Laramie County Community College covering the junior college level. From the D3 level, Brad McCarty and Messiah. At the D2 level, Andreas Lindbergh, LIU post-men's soccer team and the number 1 team in the country. At the D1 level, we kick things off with Jennifer Rockwood at BYU. And Mike Tucker, who is still flying high with the Dayton Flyers in the NCAA tournament in his final season. That's D1 women. At the D1 men, how about Bobby Muse? in two seasons, two ACC regular season titles, and he goes for an ACC tournament title, he could be a threat to win a national championship. Ken Neal breaking down what it might take for Division I men's soccer and women's perhaps to go to a full calendar season. Television will indeed play a role. What a show. Thank you to each and every one of the guests. I want to thank Lynn Burling and Sean Chevre, Rob Keough from the NSCAA for all of you, including the NAIA's Chad Waller. I'm Dean Linke. Thanks for supporting college soccer and
3: listening to the NSCAA college soccer podcast. When you join the National Soccer Coaches Association of America, you join a community who live and breathe the beautiful game just like you do. You join a network of individuals who share many of the same issues, concerns, and questions as you. The NSCAA is dedicated to serving coaches at every level of the game in a number of ways through advocacy, education, and service. Be a part of the coaching community. Learn more and join at NSCAA.com.